Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. How wonderful is your love, Lord. Father, as we read this passage, as we come before and sit at the feet of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you do a wonderful work in our hearts? Would you fix our eyes on you firmly this morning? Might we see how grand and glorious you are. Amen. I once had a job teaching children to swim. It was just over in North Tamara and it was a really fun job. I loved it. It was a lot of fun. But what I found interesting was watching children for the first time learn to swim. That's a, that's a great thing. But what would, what would be interesting is as they approach the pool, they, they probably have some prior knowledge. They've probably witnessed the class before. Or they've seen their older brother or sister swim. And so they know it's a fun thing to participate in. Their parents have probably sat them down and told them, it's going to be great, it's going to be a lot of fun. And so they're, they're amped and they have no reason to be anxious. 
There's, from what they know, it should be a great experience. They watch the children before and it's great. They're having a lot of fun. Their parents tell them it's going to be great. Then they get in the water and all of a sudden they're overwhelmed. In the given situation that they find themselves, they are overwhelmed with anxiety and they look around and search for something to make the situation better. They're distracted from what they did know and they start being this search, this this quest to, to grab a hold of the wall or to flap their arms to try and make themselves in, more comfortable. They're trying to make that situation more bearable, more secure. Now, I'm in the water and I'm able to make sure that nothing is going to happen, that nothing dangerous will happen. And yet they put aside, they cast aside that knowledge, they are distracted from me and they are on their own search they're preoccupied, they're distracted to try and make that situation better themselves. I've tried to teach my daughter Matilda in the last year as well how to swim and guess what, it's no different for her. Even though her daddy has been a swim teacher and even though uh, she's watched her sister learn and watched her sister swim, when I put her in the water, she panics. And in that given situation, Matilda panics in that circumstance she flaps around she searches for the wall but here's what's different between matilda and the other children that i've taught to swim in the panic there are moments where all of a sudden she isn't any no she is no longer distracted and her eyes are drawn to her daddy and she realizes that her daddy is in the pool with her in that situation And for Matilda, that is a comforting thing. For Matilda, seeing her daddy makes what was a difficult situation better. Not the wall anymore. She's not searching for the wall. She's not trying to trust in her own ability, but she sees that her daddy's in the pool. As we look at this passage, in light of what we learnt last week, we we realise that you cannot serve God and money. And why would you want to when money fades? Serve God. Now Jesus therefore goes on to explain how we can therefore look, look at daddy. Look at your heavenly daddy in every situation. In essence, Jesus is saying, do not worry. Do not worry, but trust God. So let's walk through this passage as we come to verse 25. In essence, verse 25, Jesus is saying the first point of what I want us or what Jesus is uh, imploring us to hear is don't worry about the momentary. Trust a momentous God. Don't worry about the momentary. Trust a momentous God. Let me read verse 25. Therefore I tell you, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I'm a school teacher and I've been on many camps with teenagers. And what I find really interesting is when I go on these camps, the girls will bring, say we're going away for two nights, the girls will bring a bag that is as big as me. 
And in the bag is absolutely chock-a-block full of clothes. They are so distracted from the situation, they're so consumed and preoccupied by what will we wear. All they want to do to make that situation better is look to clothes. And, and what can we wear, sir? Uh, is it all right if I wear this? And, and do I look all right? And what are we going to wear tomorrow, girls? Whereas the boys, the difference, I think, maybe this is a, a distinct difference, uh, particularly obvious in teenagers, the boys bring a bag maybe even just as big, but their bag is not full of clothes, far from it. They just wear what they wore on the day they got on the bus. <laughs> the boys bring a bag full of food. And all they think about, all the questions that they have, oh, what are we going to eat tomorrow, sir? Is, is there going to be a Coke machine in the bush, sir? Um, <laughs> they are consumed and distracted and preoccupied. They're worried, if you like, about what will we eat. And we laugh, don't we? And we, know, we do know that we need these things. They're important. They are important. But Jesus is saying, remember verse 19? Look with me at verse 19. We heard it last week. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In essence, what he's doing here in verse 25, he's saying don't be distracted by the momentary things, but in all situations, keep your eyes on the momentous God. Don't worry about the momentary, but trust a momentous God. There is more to life than what you are aware. There is more to life in what you will eat. I mean, think about it. What Jesus is saying in, in essence here is that you could, you could steal my food. You could even steal my clothes. In fact, you could even rob me of my life and take that from me. But as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, he preaches a sermon on a mountain. I'm aware that my life is more than that. And that my life is hidden in Christ. That my life is therefore eternal and important because of Him, not because of food, not because of clothes. There's more. There's more to life. So trust God. Don't worry about the momentary. Trust a momentous God. And yet, I can speak myself personally of the many, many times that I've found myself in the pool. Even just earlier this year, I found myself in the pool, flapping around, bills to be paid. Ah, they all seem to come at once, don't they? Repairs need to be done on the car that just seem to coincide at the same time. A baby was on the way. And I, and I found myself searching, preoccupied, distracted from anyone else in the pool, thinking, how am I going to make this situation safe? How am I going to make this situation where I'm found in want and limited and I want to control this situation? I want to, so I'm searching to try and make this situation better. I was worried. I was anxious. And then, through the counsel of others, through the word, my eyes were lifted up and drawn to someone else in the pool. My eyes were drawn to my heavenly daddy, that I can trust him, that the momentary is not to be worried about, 
but rather trust in the momentous. So, Jesus tells us, don't worry about the momentary. Trust God and trust a momentous God. Well, the second point that Jesus is imploring for us to hear as he preaches this sermon is don't worry, but trust God is in control and values you. Don't worry, trust God is in control and values you. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Or 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, And tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I think, in essence, Jesus is teaching us three things here. Firstly, clearly, Jesus teaches that God is so completely in control of this world that he can be attributed for the birds gaining their food. God is so completely in control that he can be attributed for the lilies being clothed the way they are. The first thing that Jesus is teaching us is that God is so completely in control. And you may say to me, oh, but don't the birds, they might have looked around a bit and had to fly a little bit to get some food. And oh, didn't the lilies, you know, there's a, there's a process of photosynthesis and, the, and they, they, they draw the water up from the nutrients. Even and in and through all the procedures, the providence of God is attributed. He is the one who is over it all. That ultimately, who is attributed for the food? God. Who is attributed for the beauty of the lilies? God. And so the first thing that Jesus teaches us is that God is completely in control. The second thing that Jesus teaches us is that you are much more valuable. You are much more valuable than birds and lilies. God is in control. He feeds birds. He clothes lilies. You are much more valuable than birds and lilies. And Jesus says that your heavenly daddy knows your needs. He knows your needs. He's in control. And you are much more valuable. Just a glance at Calvary, as we have already this morning, ought to teach that. That you are valuable. That since the before time began, he called you and knew you by name. Since before time began, he had a plan to redeem you. He had a plan for his son to humble himself and become one of us. That he might be our perfect representative in the life he lived. That he might die the death as our representative in my place, the death I deserved. You are valuable. You are valuable to your daddy. And your daddy is in control. 
So don't worry. Trust God is in control and values you. The third thing I think Jesus teaches us here is that within this section is that don't let gifts distract you from the giver. Verse 32, he speaks about about the, the pagans or the Gentiles who seek after all these things. They're distracted, if you like, from the giver. If God's in control and God can be attributed as the ultimate one, the ultimate source who gives and provides for the birds, even 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 as we work, we read in Deuteronomy 8.18 that even, even as we work, it's the ability to work that is a gift that is given to us. And Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 4.7 that he asks the question, what do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. It is all a gift. And yet here Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles who run after the gifts who make much of the gifts and are distracted from the giver. During the week, I gave Bianca some flowers. It's poppy season, so she loves poppies. So that's nice, they're everywhere. And I gave her some poppies. But this would be weird. My, my My aim in giving her flowers is actually that it might grow her love for me, her husband. But wouldn't it be weird... If as I give her the flowers, she, she grabs the flowers and, and runs to the pot and then just sits and look at the, looks at them. And it's as if I'm not even in the room anymore because she is so consumed in the flowers and she spends all that night watering them and she just wakes up the next day. First thing she does, she runs to the flowers, sits at the feet of the flowers. That would not be pleasant, would it? <laughs> That's not the point of a gift, right? Don't let the gift distract you from the giver. Don't be like the Gentiles who who are distracted and seek after the gift and make way too much of the gifts. I think this is a big challenge for us as Western Christians in the world and the community and the culture and the environment that we live in here in Sydney. We have much. And the question we often ask is rather, is still, what else can I get? I think we ought to be asking, in view of what I have, what can I give? Don't let the gifts distract you from the giver. And so don't worry. Trust God is in control and he values you. I want to, perhaps in this, in, in light of this example that Jesus gives, and in light of discussing that God is so completely in control that he gives the birds their food, I want to be clear of what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying, don't work. He's not saying, just put your feet up, open your mouth, and God, who is so in control, will providentially put some food into your mouth. He could. But this is clearly not what Jesus is saying. Because even if, if, if a mere consideration of the birds and the lilies, as I said before, there is a process of being involved in God's providence, a responsibility, a participation that God in that allows us to participate in. So he's not saying be lazy. And also he's not saying not to plan for the future. In fact, even in this, Jesus is saying to consider, to think about things. 
Right now, uh, my little girl, Talitha, who's nearly four, uh, Bianca's not here because Talitha has a, has a gastro tummy bug. And if I'm honest, that's been a, a temptation for us. It's been around for a while now, for several days. It's been a temptation to be anxious about her. Are we, though, are we not to work at trying to get a resolution? No. Are we, are we not to get the doctor out and try and get the doctor to help us? No, no, no. Jesus is not saying don't do that. Are we not to plan and try and get her better? No, we, we need to, to do that. We're, we're, we're called to as her parents to help her get better. But what we ought not to do is allow that illness to distract us from seeking first with our eyes to trust our daddy in it and in the situation that we find ourselves in. Don't worry. Trust God is in control and values you. Third point. The third point that, that, that is drawn out of this, conclu- this uh, sermon that Jesus is preaching. Jesus urges us that worry is good for nothing. If you worry, you will gain nothing. Look with me at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Or, verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for this day is its own trouble. Jesus is saying, what will you gain from worry? What will you gain from posing and and being so preoccupied with the questions of what, what if this might happen? What if I do this? And, and if those thoughts and those questions so consume you to, to be fretting and anxious, what will you gain? Nothing. Worry is good for nothing. Like trying to drive to the Gold Coast with a matchbox car. It gains nothing. But instead... Where worry gains nothing, trusting God first, you will gain all things. Look with me at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek A present imperative, in essence, is saying an unceasing quest that in any and every situation, whether you're in the pool and you're uncomfortable, you are searching and seeking first your daddy to trust him in all and every situation. Seek first God, the one who truly is ruling. How come... As we read this, and we read that if we put God first, all things will fall into place. We read, if we put God first, all things will fall into place, and we will have them. And yet, how come we don't have all things? I think perhaps there's two ways, maybe even three, of understanding this, and I think they can all be linked and applicable in my life and yours. I think if we consider verse 21, 
chapter 6, verse 21, where we read, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If my eyes seek first, my treasure is my God, my daddy is in the pool and I'm seeking him, then it does not matter what situation I find myself in, I have my treasure. For God is my treasure first and foremost. And so then I can say as Paul did in Philippians, Philippians 4, if I have much or have little, I am one who can rejoice always. I am content for I am seeking first my God. And it doesn't matter because I have my treasure and you can deny me the lesser good, I will always have the greater good. And in him is my satisfaction, my security, my joy. I think that's part of it. I think it's also the second way that we can understand it is to understand that, that God has all things for you in eternity. That one day you will sit at a banquet where you won't be, won't be denied a beautiful feast. That you will be clothed in clothes that you cannot even imagine. The right, Clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That you will be uh, enjoying eternity with your daddy. And in, in eternity, as you seek first God here, then you will have all things. I think there's, a, there's an element of that. And I think Jesus himself, is, as we look at his life, we see, well, he certainly knew what it was in this life, seeking first and yet going without food. Seeking first God and yet knowing what it was to have grief. Seeking first God and yet in the Garden of Gethsemane having distress. And seeking God first and yet having someone take even his life. Jesus himself knew what it was to submit to the, the prayer, but not my will, but yours be done. I think it is to seek first and know that as Jesus did, the joy set before him, that there was a greater glory awaiting and to trust God in any and every situation. I think the third way, and, and again, this is all uh, helpful for us all to apply all of these, I think, in, in our thoughts, is to understand that, is it possible, is it not possible that perhaps God does give us all things as a community, as a body of Christ? Is it possible that, that when I am in want, as I seek first, I'm surrounded by a body that can support me and help me? As a local church, if we as a local church are in want, is there not the body of Christ bigger than big enough that God provides for the other local expressions to be supported? I think that ultimately we ought to trust that as we seek God first, He is our treasure. He is my satisfaction in any and every situation. And I trust that one day I will enjoy all things in eternity. And I do also trust that he will provide the body of Christ to see him exalted in this world. So trust God first and gain all things. Well, the question that I, that I think I, I ask as I read this is, well, how do we do that? How do we trust God and seek him first in all things, in any and every situation? How do we do that, Mark? How do we do that, Jesus? 
Well, here's some of my thoughts that I, as I come to this passage and I think this is, this is how I need to learn to trust God first, to seek Him first. I think firstly we need to let go of control and admit our limits. See, the thing that you try and control is probably the thing you worry about, right? The thing that you try and control in your life is probably also the thing that you worry about because you realise you're not in control of it. And you think about how can I just get in control of it? And then everything will be all right. So you need to admit that you're not in control. You're not in control and you're limited. You're limited in your wisdom. There's going to be a roadblock for your wisdom. You're limited in your strength. You're not in control of your health. You're not in control of your, your ability to bring a friend to know and love the Saviour. That's out of your control. You're not in control of finances. Things can happen in your life that will expose you to realize that you are not in control. You're not in control of romance. You cannot force someone to love you. You're not in control of uh, other drivers on the road as much as we want to be. We need to let go of control. And admit that we're limited. And as we see that we're limited, run to the one who is in control. As we see that our control is limited, run to the one who is in control of all things and values you and a cause to not worry therefore. Has not God designed us to depend on him? Right from the beginning of the Bible as you read, Adam and Eve are dependent on the word of God to know how to live in this world. You were designed to depend on the one who is in control. You're not in control. And God will use all sorts of situations in your life to show you that, to show you that you're not in control. It might be illness. It might be uh, a debt that arises. It might be persecution to show you that you're not in control. For me, there was a, there was a time uh, nearly 10 years ago when my parents got divorced. And for me... That caused a lot of anxiety in my life where I just I, I wanted to make things right and I, and I would get angst and fret about how can I just convince my mum and my dad who I love that they ought to love each other still. And that caused a lot of anxiety and, and it was only in just letting go of control and just trusting my daddy and knowing that he is in complete control that I actually found in, in, in a weird way that situation grew me in a way that I've never known. I grew to love to trust God through that, to depend on Him, even in a situation that was not nice and I wouldn't want on anyone. God was exposing my heart to try and control, to be self-reliant. God will use different things to show you that you're not in control. So let go of control, admit your limits and trust God. I think the second thing that we need to do, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? I think secondly, we learn to trust God's interpretation of life. So when the mud splatters on your windshield and you lose temporary sight of the road and you start to swerve all over the place in anxiety, wipe clean your windscreen with the word of God. Wash clean your vision with the word of God. 
Psalm 119.105 actually says it even way better than that illustration, saying that the Word of God, if you like, is like a lamp to your feet. Or, more specifically, your Word is a lamp to my feet. I think we need to let God's interpretation of the situation that you find yourself in that is causing you anxiety, let God's interpretation speak loudest. Let His voice be heard over and above the anxious, turmoil voice that goes on inside. The one that is saying, oh, if I only just did this, or what if, what if this happens, or maybe I just need to go and speak to that person. Or Let God's interpretation be loudest and trust in Him. Jesus, uh, later in this sermon, actually speaks about people who hear His word are like a man who builds a house on a solid and firm foundation. May we hear his words and build on them and trust in them and find them trustworthy in any and every situation. Let his words be the interpretation that we hear loudest, if you like. I think um, for me, for some examples of this, so when I'm anxious perhaps about a new venture. Then I can turn to Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. When I'm anxious about being too weak for what God might be asking me to do, whatever that be, then I can turn to 2 Corinthians 12.9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When I'm anxious about a decision, then the interpretation God brings to me in that moment, in that situation, I will instruct you. Psalm, Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. When I'm anxious about facing an opponent, Romans 8:31, if God is for us, who can be against us? When I'm anxious about being sick, Romans 5, verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that this suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We need to learn to trust God's interpretation of life. Thirdly, how do we seek first the kingdom of God? How do we seek first and and, and learn to more and more let our eyes be drawn to look and trust in Daddy I think it also means sacrificing in a way, sacrificing in a way that grows your dependence on and trust in God. Sacrificing in a way that will grow your dependence on and your trust in God. I'm definitely a school teacher, and so hence the props, right? I'm going to go up on the stage because then you can see clearly, I hope. I think for many of us, we approach the Christian life and we think, okay, Christ is a solid rock. Christ is a solid rock. 
and I stand on him. I'm going to build on Christ my solid rock. And we all, we, on Sundays, yeah, yeah, woo, solid. I'm going, to, I'm going to praise my God. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And yet, and, we, and perhaps we look at others and we think, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they're building their life on their career. And so other people, they stand, I'm not going to stand on this, but they stand on their career. That's what they put their trust in. Well, other people, they put their trust in finances. Okay? So other people will be like, okay, I'm just going to, if I can just control my financial situation, I'll be right. So I'm going to trust in my finances. Or other people, if I can just control relationships with people, maybe it's friends or maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's uh, my family. If I just control them, if I control them, then it'll make that, the situation better. And so on them I stand. <laughs> or maybe, maybe others, it's, it's your health. And so you, you're going to trust in everything will be all right if you can just keep yourself healthy. And so on that I stand. And so perhaps as Christians we, we kind of think, okay, we're here, and we look at other people and think, yeah, yeah, they definitely trust in their finances. Oh, yeah, they definitely trust in their career, but that, not, not us. We're, we're on the rock. But perhaps, and perhaps you start like that, I hope you do, but perhaps it's more like this. It's more like actually everything crowds in on the rock and we start to shift our weight a little bit and then a little bit more. And we're still standing on the rock, but we've shifted our weight a little bit. And we started to actually put a bit of trust in the finances and everything's going to be all right, dear, because the finances are in control. And everything's okay because relationships are in control and my health is good. I wonder, I wonder how many of us, Paul said we ought to be pitied. If the resurrection is not true, we ought to be pitied. I wonder if how many of us, if, if we took the rock away, nothing changes. How many of us have put our trust too much on the other things that you can take it away if the resurrection were not true, would we really be pitied and, whoa, shown to have lived a life that is just falling? I think with, with these things, we can be tempted to, to trust on them and what happens is God will wean us off these things in some way. So I'm trusting my, in my relationships, but everything goes pear-shaped. A friend, there's too much conflict and that goes pear-shaped. I can't control that. Or my finances, like all of a sudden I'm in debt and I have no way to pay that. Or the insurance rates go up and I can't do that. Or my health, unbeknownst to me, there was something going on in my body and, and I have cancer now and I can't control that. And my career, well, as much as I, I thought I was climbing the ladder, my boss just came to me the other day and said no and I'm anxious. Oh God, help me on Christ's solid rock. And he is firm and he is one that I can look to in any and every situation. But what if in those situations, when they happened, I was standing on the rock anyway? I wouldn't have fallen as much, would I? I'd be all right because I'd be standing on the rock. I think the third way that we can grow in seeking first the kingdom of God and how to do that is to sacrifice 
in a way that grows our dependence on and trusting God. So situations will arise by the providence of God, but what if we sacrifice in a way that is going to help me grow in my dependence on and trust in God? What if I sacrifice in a way that says, yeah, I am depending on you. I've got nowhere else to go right now because I am so depending on you. It's interesting, as you look through the rest of Matthew's Gospel, in fact, all the Gospels, it's interesting that you see the people that please Jesus most are those who come to him saying, I'm depending completely on you. I am depending on you to come through for me in this. Matthew 9:22, Jesus says, Your faith has healed you. He's impressed by a lady's faith. And it's not her faith, but rather the object of her faith, that she has seen a rock that is firm, that she wants to stand on that and nothing else in this illness. Or on the flip side, and there's many examples of that, on the flip side, Matthew 13, 58, when Jesus goes back to his hometown, no one wants to stand on the rock. No, no, he's just the carpenter. We're not going to stand or depend on him. And so you read in Matthew 13, 58, that, that many great things didn't happen. Why? Because no one wanted to depend on Jesus, the carpenter's son. I wonder how many times we, because we don't actually look to God, that we actually, maybe we miss out. When was the last time you did something intentionally to cause you to trust in God? When was the last time you sacrificed in some way intentionally to cause you to trust in God? Maybe it was the last time you were in a conversation and you had an opportunity to share with that person about Jesus and you sacrificed your pride, your comfort and you put yourself out there and wasn't it beautiful? Wasn't it sweet? Didn't you treasure Jesus as you walked away thinking, I don't even care if I look like an idiot anymore because you're my treasure and I've got to proclaim you. Even just this morning, have you not had an opportunity to sacrifice in a way that if the world looked at you, they would think, that doesn't make sense at all. Did you not tithe? I've had even people within my own family challenge me and go, are you serious? They've looked at my budget and, and seen that I tithe and gone, are you serious? You, know, you, you don't have to do that. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense unless I'm trusting in God. Maybe it's um, a major decision. Uh, for me, uh, when I, 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 halfway through my uni degree, I, I actually st- stopped it and moved to Maxwell because I felt like there was people in there that I'd begun relationships with that I wanted to see it through. I wanted to help them and see them come and grow in their in their understanding of God. And the other people that I was at uni with, it didn't make sense. But for me, my life wasn't my own. I was trusting in God with my decisions. And it was beautiful. It was hard. But how sweet it is to trust in God in that situation. And there's many, many other ways or examples that I think we could give, but I just want to ask that question. When was the last time you intentionally did something that caused you to trust God? What can you do this week to intentionally cause you to trust God?
How do we seek first the kingdom of God? I think it is to sacrifice in a way that grows your dependence on and your trust in God. Isn't that what the Sermon on the Mount calls for us? Within the kingdom of God to live, as Paul said, Galatians 2.20, to live by faith in the Son of God. And as you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly it, right? It is, it is all-encompassing, all-consuming, and to actually live that, man, you're going to have to stand only on that rock. You're going to have to give your life completely over that firm foundation. Don't bother raking the world for any other foundations. You won't find one as strong as this one. So trust in Him. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. It's the Him, right? We know it. When long appears my toilsome race... I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. So on Christ the solid rock I stand and all other ground is sinking sand. Do not worry, friends. Trust God first with your life in any and every situation. Heavenly Father, you are a good God and we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you that you're a God who is trustworthy, who is in the pool with us in any and every situation. May you help us, may you cause us to look to our Daddy and trust in you, Lord. May you help us as we seek to sacrifice even to grow our trust in you. May you make it aware to us even now what, what is it in our life that we're, we're trying to control that isn't you. What is it in our life that we're trusting? May you, by your spirit, put that on our hearts and help us to sacrifice. Help us, Lord, now that this week we would begin something new and radical, that we would be a church that completely seeks first the kingdom of God. And we would see how good it is to trust you, Lord. Amen.